0: Oh, when the world is crap and you got the blues Just take a break from all that horrible news For something crazy, amazingly clever and never have asked. Except when it is Yes, it's the, the Randy, Randy Rainbow Podcast This song is almost over, girl So wipe your tears, you're in for a treat And feast your ears on this Remarkable feed Yes, it's a famous celebrity Finally, podcast It is revolutionary, Randy Rainbow's podcast, the Randy Rainbow Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Randy Rainbow Podcast. I am your host, Barbara Hershey. I'm joined in studio by the usual suspects, and here next to me is Paul Pecorino, my dear friend, my... Well, you said Ed McMahon, but I like to call you my Ed McWoman. Ed McWoman. That's fine. I, I, think I love think that's a it. good catchphrase. I'm going to have t-shirts that's made. That's my Ed McWoman. With that's your my face. Ed, my it's Ed McGirl. The Ed McGirl. <laughs> that's crazy. Ed Mcgirl. So I just got rid of a large case of diarrhea this morning. <laughs> that's because lovely no, but let me lovely sentiment unto the world. I was very nervous because I have been asked to host the premiere ceremony of the Grammy Awards. You know, I'm nominated for a Grammy, Paul. Yes, I do. I do the girl And that. McGurl. <laughs> that's so great, Renny. Yeah, that's, that's thank great. you. So, the, you know, it's the, it's not the Beyonce show that, that everyone watches on TV, but the show before that where they give out all the 90 mm-hmm. other um, categories, including mine, Best Comedy Album, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm hosting it. They... Well, I I might be co-hosting it. We don't know. They might find they've been throwing out some fun names, but I don't Can know. Can you We're say the same. names? I know. How uh, dare you? Oh, always, always. I'm not at liberty to discuss by what my girl's up to. No, I don't want to say. Okay. but of course, I checked my mail two days ago, and what was there but a jury duty summons? Oh, you're kidding. For me. two days before the Grammys. You're kidding me. No, and it was a second summons because I already had to request a postponement because the last time they sent, they always send it, you know, the worst possible time. You were on tour? I was on tour. So how do they respond to somebody who says, I can't do jury duty because I'm hosting the Grammy Awards? I know, it (laughs) felt like a dog ate my homework kind of bullshit, fantastical response. I'm like, as I was writing, I'm like, no one's going to believe this. (laughs) I wouldn't. It's so weird sounding. And then I, you know, my head starts spinning. I'm like, what if they recognize my email address? What if it's a Republican? Oh my God, they're not going to care. But- You have to send in, I sent an official document saying that I was, you know, obligated to host. And could you please not make me miss this because I don't want to not go to the Grammys and do jury duty, please. And they wrote back like two hours later and said, you're postponed till April. Oh, that's great. So that's so interesting. Dodged a bullet. Yeah, you did. I wonder about you know what what happens to celebrities when they get Well to, I suppose do they well, get a, are they automatically exempt?
1: I mean like I heard movie a story stars?
0: <laughs> I heard a story about Robert De Niro I think somebody I know works with someone who managed him and he got jury duty and he showed up and the you know they just asked for his autograph and he was free to go. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Maybe that'll happen to you. Well, it's you know famous fickle these days, especially my type of fame. So one room I walk into, I'm Elvis Presley. And then the other, they asked me to clear the dishes. No one's ever heard of <laughs> they me. They don't even know who you are. So it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you dodged that bullet. Yeah, so I'm going to, gonna, go to the I'm gonna do the Grammys. Do you know what you're wearing? I'm going to just wear my usual tux. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get something special, but yeah. there's no time to do it, so... This, you know, I'm going to wear my little sparkly tuxedo. That's like my Barbara Streisand midi blouse that she used up, to wear at, to every event and on every television appearance all through the 60s. That's my phase that I'm in now. That's great. Yeah. Well, congrats on the nomination. Thank you so much. We have a very exciting... Speaking of nominations, she's been nominated for many things and won many things, deservedly so, because she's a legend and icon. She is the moment. It's the one and only Lucy Arnaz. Can you imagine? Oh, they're playing our song. Yeah. Did I sing that on key? No, you never do. You're Randy always says a little I under. always sing slightly flat. That's all right. It's your style. But Lucy Arnaz, who's so wonderful and so talented and so generous, um, I can't wait to talk to her. About, I want to ask her about that documentary, that Lucy Desi documentary. That Amy Poehler directed. Yeah, Amy mm-hmm. Poehler did that, and uh, I, 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 she's doing her own concert now. So I want to find out. Was I think she's in Palm Springs. So we're gonna kibitz with the great Lucy Arnez and hear all about everything she's up to right after this. It's the pick up.
1: Hi, Randy. I cannot believe that you do not have a boyfriend. If I was a guy, I would surely date you. What I want to know is how is my little friend Tippy?
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I agree with you. I am a catch and a half and I don't know what the hell's going on around here, but we're working on it. Tippy's great. I um, just took her to be groomed. She looks more gorgeous than ever. You should still follow up on this dating, finding a man. We got to remember we were going to vet some people and get get you that's a right. man. That's right. We have we have to do you, that at some point because it's not going well. No, but um, we're going to make it happen. Yeah, because right now I'm just a you know a, a cat, cat lady. lady. How dare you? I'm allowed to say it, but that's offensive. I'm offended. Please leave. Tippy's great. She sends her love and um, she's. You know what? I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on <laughs> toys for this damn cat. Now she's into shoelaces. Like it's a meth addict with the shoelace. <laughs> she wakes me up in the middle of the night. She's got to have her shoelace fixed that I got to like, you know, drag it across the floor and she's nuts. Wow. So that's my that's what's occupying my time right now is shoelaces. How about spending some money and getting a matchmaker? What does this have to do with my cat's shoelace? I'm answering the, the lovely lady's question. Oh, about I'm finding m- Yes. Do those work? I don't know. What kind of matchmaker would I even have? Where do you have them? Like a matchmaker, matchmaker, matchmaker make make me a match. match. Can I throw the broom? This was a delight. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wrap. (laughs) wrap. (laughs) Oh, hi, Randy. This is your fairy godmother out here on the West Coast. I noticed that pink nail polish you were wearing. And uh, I'm on the post that you had on Facebook. I really like that color on you. It looks wonderful. So my question is, one, actually, I guess two questions. One is, is that OPI? And two, uh, what brands of nail polish do you recommend? Bye. This is a very personal question. First of all, is it pronounced O-P-I? I've been, I thought it was O I don't even know what that is. Well, cause you're way behind. Wait, what's o- what? Tell me well, what this is. Well, it's a brand of nail polish, but it's o- It's spelled O-P-I, but I thought it was pronounced Opie. Cause I bet you half of our audience at least has been pronouncing it Opie this whole time. And we all look like fools. Or doesn't even know what the hell you're talking about. I tend to go for Essie. Essie is my brand of choice. I enjoy the application. I enjoy the color selection. Right now, I'm wearing kind of a bubblegum pink that I believe is called haute to trot. Isn't no. that how you? Pr- I don't know how to pronounce anything. H A U T E. That's haute, like haute couture. How pink is ladies it? Hot, you. hot to trot. It's a no, but it's spelled H A U T E. Isn't that's that that's haute like haute couture like haute couture which I wasn't sure how to pronounce either. Yes, it does. We're fluent in, in... Is that French? If, <laughs> is, is anyone still listening to this podcast? We're a bunch of morons on this program. Nobody knows no, anything. No, don't know. If you're coming here for information, you're up, shits Creek.
1: Hi, Randy. This is Beth. I am wondering that at some point in the future... There obviously will be a Randy Rainbow statue erected somewhere, and I am just wondering where you would want that statue and how large that statue should be, life size or even bigger, because you yourself, sweetie, are bigger than life.
0: Love you. Let me know. That's very nice. I'm just thinking about all the people who can't wait to tear that statue down. I don't know. Where should my statue be? It has to be. Right here. In here in Times Square. Maybe yes. like we're, we're right above the TKTS booth. That would oh, yeah. be an appropriate place because that was where so much of my Broadway, you know, musical theater mm-hmm. inspiration or hit, hit really as a kid. As you wrote in your book. What? Either yes. at the Hooters you used to work at it's, or the <laughs> cafeteria. That's classic. I think the Hooters. Hooters is no longer in business, I'm sad <gasps> to say. Yeah. The whole thing? The franchise? No, no. Hooters, excuse me, I'm sorry. Hooters, Hooters is still in business, of course, but that particular one where I made my splash onto the New York scene yes, yeah. is no uh-huh. longer there. Well, yeah. then that's where the statue should be. That's where it should go, the hole in the ground on 56th Street that used to be Hooters. They should erect a statue to me, uh, uh, and it should be me wearing the orange shorts. There you go. I think that's done. Thank you. All Can right. we get that going? <laughs> If you have a question, comment, or concern, you can leave me a voicemail too. Just go to the show notes, click the link, and tell me what's on your mind. It's the Randy Rainbow Podcast. And now a word from our sponsor. This Sunday, Sunday, Sunday live from the Lincoln Nebraska Convention and Livestock Supercenter comes the most anticipated conservative event of the season it's Republican 2023 the only place outside of a federal penitentiary to meet so many of your favorite Republican MAGA stars under one roof Rubio Graham Boebert, Eric Trump the My Pillow guy Dean Cain and that one nutty actress from Clueless what was her name just to name a few Ride that big red wave on down where you'll get to have your picture taken with what's left of Bill O'Reilly. Bottle feed Kellyanne Conway gin-apple martinis or try your luck at our special fundraising event, The Grease and Cruise Catch, where you and the family will have a chance to chase greasy Ted Cruz around his pen until that little piggy squeals something fierce. yee Meet with Hollywood, Florida's biggest filmmakers, such as Dinesh D'Souza, Candace Owens, Kirk Cameron, and Rob Schneider. Come dressed as your favorite January 6th character and dance the night away in the Kanye West Wing ballroom. And be part of the celebration as we proudly present the Richard Milhouse-Nixon Lifetime Achievement Award to Das Herr Mel Gibson, my ex-boyfriend. Get your tickets now at Republican.com or through our link on the Joe Rogan Experience. It's Republican 2023, and it's all happening this Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That was really Shake now so let's cut this shit I think a fabulous geeky with someone i love would be best yes, it? My guest today is an amazing singer, actress, writer, director with an extensive background in musical theater and television. She also has the very unique distinction of being the daughter of the great Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. That's funny. So am I. Uh, We're over the moon to have her with us today. Please help me welcome the fabulous Lucy Arnaz.
1: Hi, Randy. Hi,
0: sweetheart. How are you? (laughs) I'm very
1: good. This is going to be fun. I'm so happy to be talking to you.
0: Good. Well, I don't like all that pomp and circumstance. We're recording. This is it. You're in the the, the podcast experience. This is it.
1: Uh, We're here. How are you? Where Um, are you? I'm in Palm Springs. Yeah. You've been here. I I saw you here. That's right. Yeah. I'm looking at the most gorgeous mountain right now and it goes, it goes the whole entire way around. It's just, I love living here.
0: How long have you been there?
1: 11 years.
0: Okay. Yeah. I love it. I haven't been back in some time, but I used to play there once a year. There was a, I had a nice steady run for a while. I hope to come back soon. It's so gorgeous. You're too busy now. I'm very busy. What do you want to do? Careful what you wish for. Exactly right. You know, I was just telling everybody I gave because you know I br- any ch- opportunity to bring up that I was nominated for an Emmy for the fourth time and <laughs> lost for the fourth time. But I was there this year and in person lost. and I and lost to James Corden. How dare you! <gasps> but I I was surprised pleasantly that they, they asked me to present and I the, one of the categories was the the documentary, the Amy Poehler documentary. Oh wow! I presented that Emmy. Isn't that great? And did they win? Yeah, you don't even know.
1: No, I know they were nominated for six, and they won three. So I wasn't sure which one you were. Presenting. Oh, I think
0: it was like the be- like the the big one, whatever, like best documentary or something. Okay, or maybe right. it was maybe it was di- maybe it was directors. I don't even director
1: remember. and like writing and I don't know. They got nominated for six, which is incredible, and they won three of them. So they, they they won for like weird things like writing, music, and editing.
0: Yeah, you were interviewed <laughs> for that. Did you have any other part part in it?
1: No. Other than that, other than that they were, I didn't have any legal say so. I didn't ask for any because right. I, I really liked the company. First of all, it was Ron Howard. It was, you know, Ron Howard Productions and Imagine Entertainment. And they hired uh, White Horse Pictures to actually produce the documentary. And White Horse came to me and, you know, asked for our approval. And, you know, would I let them do this? But, and then they said that Amy, they would approach Amy Poehler to direct it. And so from the very beginning, it was such a class act that I just, I said, you know what? It's been 20 some years since I did my documentary. And I would love to see somebody else take a crack at this story and and see what you, I will open up the archives and whatever you want, come get it. And just, you play, you play with the toys, you know?
0: Yeah. You haven't always been that. Open to it, I imagine. I mean that 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 must be the you know, it has to be the right people at the right yeah. time. But you must have yeah. been, I, I'm sure that you've protected all of that from many people who
1: you know. I it. wouldn't I wouldn't have probably except that right after my mom passed away, CBS, like her network, the one that they basically put on the map, right, um, did a television movie about their lives that was so trashy and so. Tabloid esque. I remember and, it. I mean, it was minutes after she passed. It was so trashy, and I just thought, wow. And they and they had sent me the script, and I remember reading it and going, "Why would you want to do anything like this? Why? Why would you tell such a trashy, you know, tabloidy kind of story? There is no reasoning in here. There's no why did they separate? Why did this happen? How did they grow up? None of the none of that. Just all of whatever kind of trash they could find. And so then I got a little wary about letting people tell stories, you know, it was like, well, and you can't always stop it. They're, they're names, you know, they're celebrities. So you do what you can in a way it's, it's like real estate, really. I just try to make sure that they don't put big, ugly hotels on their property.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You've got a very healthy uh, mindset about the whole thing. It's taken years and a lot of
1: therapy to get this, to get (laughs) this mindset. Tell us
0: everything. Tell us all about the therapy. If you
1: had the time, I would.
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny. You know, I've unfortunately only really spent limited time with you, but I'm a very good judge of character. You're a very grounded and 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 normal and and uh you know I mean maybe you're a mess I don't know again <laughs> I haven't spent a lot of- but you seem very adjusted because I also I you know I'm I'm fortunate to have gotten to know a lot of people who I admire yourself included people like Lorna Luft um people who has a similar experience to you yeah. do you have a history with her do you have a relationship
1: Yeah, we live in Palm Springs together, and we we have grown up in a similar circle. She and I are around the same age, Um, but we didn't grow up together. Oddly enough, as kids, we did not grow up. I knew Liza long before I ever met Lorna, because my brother dated her, and that's the only reason I I knew Liza.
0: I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, there weren't too many people that he didn't date, um, actually, during that little period of time. And, uh, and Lauren has always just had a great sense of humor and a great outlook on life. We have very similar visions of the planet (laughs) and, and I see her down here a lot, but we have, no, I didn't grow up with very many people who had famous parents. Oddly enough, I grew up with Alice Springham and Susie Meyer and the people who lived, you know, around the corner in Van Nuys. And that's maybe that's why I'm more normal. I, we didn't have like who has the bigger limousine and, you know, what? that happens, like, later on. Like, that happened when my kids were growing up. That was the way it was then in, like, the 80s in, in Los Angeles when I had my family out there for a while. And, and we went back to New York because I just thought, this is a crazy way to raise your kids. Like, yeah. you know, who went to the screening and, you know, what kind of car did they drive? And it was just not what we are about. Our family is really not about that. And it never had been. And so I didn't feel comfortable there anymore, you know, in in L.A. That's why we live here, I think. I go to L.A. when I have to. But I I live out here with like people who have a mindset that is more about life and about exercise and beauty and food and rest. And you go to work when you go to work. And then you come back and you perch here. And it seems a
0: lot healthier for us anyway, you know. Yeah, you're very normal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We were talking about... Broadway cuz that's you know I, I, in case you don't know i'm a big show queen first Are of you? all we, I did knew. you know i love musicals i, love I musicals
1: did not theater. know that
0: <laughs> did you see my late my, my uh, lamez my latest lamez i
1: did this just came out like right it was it just it just came
0: out this week i yeah. i
1: wondered what you were going to do about that whole thing i thought okay you can't just ignore this
0: well i was saying they they were knocking down my door that i had to do yeah. They wanted specifically for Andrew. For uh, I keep saying Andrew McCarthy. That's an actor, Kevin A- McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy yeah.
1: and Andrea McCardle. No,
0: <laughs> that's right. That's who I always get. I always get Kevin McCarthy and Andrea McCardle.
1: Everyone does. They're so similar. They, have you ever seen them together?
0: Well, now that you mentioned it, no. Um, but musical theater, was that a part of your childhood? Were, were, were we oh playing show tunes in the house? I don't totally. think I know that about your
1: One family. of the things that I loved about reading your book, Playing With Myself, <gasps> now available it? on, audio, I actually listened to you read it. I got the wow. audi- audible version and I listened to it twice. I had such a good time. I listened oh to it in God. my car. I do a lot of reading in my car that way, that I find I read more when I make use of that downtime. You know, I rehearse my shows in my car and I listen to people like you. And um, one of the things that I thought, God, we're more alike than I knew. I, um, My life growing up, and I talk about it in my show now, my concert that I do, which is the only time I ever did a concert where I, I am actually referring to my life in the musical theater as opposed to just singing songs with great arrangements and stuff like that. I say that I, I fell in love with musicals so early on. And my mom was in one when I was nine, Wildcat on Broadway. And mm-hmm. so I got to see that. And I probably, we probably saw it 17 or 20 times, you know, that we would just go to the theater and she'd let us crawl around under the seats up in the balcony and things. I would switch purses. That's what I used to do for fun. I would crawl around people's feet in the little chairs and in the switch. balcony. And then I would switch them. See, make I'm,
0: not fun. Normal, see? <laughs> You're I'm not that
1: normal. You're a
0: little kooky. not
1: that normal, but... While we were in New York, we got a chance to go see other musicals. I saw the original Once Upon a Mattress with Carol. You know, I saw the original uh, Music Man with Robert Preston. I saw the original um, Miracle Worker with Patty Duke and Ann Bancroft. Did you see
0: Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand?
1: I did not see Funny Girl because I think Ugh. that was, what year was that? 16- 1964.
0: I went to Garden Theater.
1: Mm, I don't think we were there that long. I okay. think I was back in Los Angeles by then. I would have. And anyway, I fell in love with that whole thing, that fantasy world and the sound and the overtures and the dancing. And so I, I had a huge collection of Broadway show albums at my mom's house. And um, so did you, right? You had all these Broadway show Yeah, albums. my mother would and put me to
0: sleep to the soundtracks to uh, Oklahoma and The Music Man.
1: Exactly. I chose my high school because it had the best musical theater department. That's why I went there. And it was in, almost an hour away f- from my house, but I drove there because that's what I wanted to do. We used to put on plays in our backyard. My mom finally built a little stage in our garage because I had this little theater group and my girlfriends and I would lip sync. Hello, because you know we didn't know we could sing. So I would lip sync to all these show tunes. And our first production was Bye Bye Birdie and I had to be Kim. you know. So I, we lip synced that and... And that's how it started for me. It's exactly like that, and and it was good because when I got on the Here's Lucy show, when we did all those musicals, like every year there were eight or nine full fledged musical production numbers, which really set me up to be in the musical theater, because we rehearsed, we did it in front of a live audience. You know, we only had a week. It was like doing Summer Stock, yeah. and um, and when you learn all of that, you have to lip sync because they pre record for television in that in that way. So by the time, you know, I got off of the Here's Lucy show, I could, I was a master lip singer. <laughs> so I really appreciate that's people so, who do what
0: you do. That's so sweet. You're so, you're always so uh, uh, effusive and, and kind about my process and all of that. And I'm like, you're literally a, a Desi Lou production. Why do you care? About, like, how, <laughs> literally. S- literally you are. How, do, why, why would you even care? But that's so sweet.
1: 'Cause you're talented you, and you're freaking so good nice. at what you do. And I really Thanks, appreciate lady. that. No, I'm not just blowing smoke. You're amazing. Well, you know you, you are. You,
0: you gotta come over one of these days.
1: I would love to watch it. Yeah. 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 I'd love to see how you do it. We, we
0: were saying I would like to document the 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 process one of these days.
1: Oh great.
0: Maybe we'll we maybe would, we'll talk.
1: Yeah, we could do like I could sort of interview you doing it. Like yeah. a little mini, a little mini doc.
0: Yeah. Or I just come over, sit in the corner, have a martini. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. I'm good with that. So you, so, so then jump to you, Land on Broadway. And yeah. was the first show, they're playing, they're playing our song? Our so- mm-hmm. They're yeah.
1: playing our song. That's your first show. Mo- Neil Simon, Ooh. Marvin Hamlish,
0: Manny Eisenberg. No, I can't imagine. So what was that whole uh, whirlwind experience like for you? It must have been insane.
1: It was. I talk about that in the show a lot. Uh, because I, I hadn't done that in many other shows, but it was my first Broadway show. I had just come from an entire summer out at Jones Beach, you know, in Massape- Massapequa, Long Island, doing Annie mm-hmm. Get Your Gun, playing Annie Oakley for the whole summer. And, and that was a great summer for me because you're there for the whole summer and it's a big deal, Jones Beach, and they write about it in the New York Times. And I got a New York Times review, you know, an Al Hirschfeld caricature, yada, yada. And so I guess I was on the radar. And I was sent a script for this new Neil Simon musical. And I absolutely went insane. I was like, oh, my God, this is so me. This girl is totally me. I hate auditions. I'm panicked, as can possibly be when I have to go audition, because I hadn't done that many of them. And when you're related to famous people, it's very hard to audition anonymously and suck. You have to be good, or they go, oh, you know, she's so and so. It was hard, and so I, I just didn't like them. I was very nervous, but this one, I just felt like, no, no, no. I know this girl. This girl is me. I can do this, and so I had a show that night in Jones Beach. But I, I ran into, I took the train into the city that day, and then went to the theater. You know, that, which is a gone thing. You don't audition in theaters anymore. It's always a you know, a rehearsal hall somewhere, right? With fluorescent lighting. Well, these lighting
0: days, and, these days you do it over a uh, Zoom. Yeah, yeah have, and, or Zoom. It's very now. depressing what's going on now. Yeah.
1: But I don't know if Zoom might be better because when you go into those rehearsal halls, they're all kinds of fluorescent, awful lighting. You can't pretend there's a fourth wall. You can't be in the dark theater and Make believe, which is what I always wanted to do. That's what I loved about the theater was that I could make believe and I didn't have to have people watching me. I could just go into my own little thing. That's not how it works today. You're watching these people behind the table on their cell phones texting people they're not even paying any attention to you they're eating their lunch. It's horrifying. And I know because I've been a producer too and watched how people how it is and I thought, how can you do this to actors? But anyway, back in the day, I went to the theater, and it was a beautiful, dark theater, and I met Manny Eisenberg, the producer, and the, and the director, Robert Moore, and I read, and I, I thought I did pretty good with the little scene that they gave me, and um, and then I sang, and I decided, like, I'm smart-ass that I am, I'm playing a lyricist, and at that time I was writing lyrics, and and mostly parody songs
0: strangely enough. There you go. This is But I loved the li-
1: I loved lyrics. I loved funny lyrics to stuff. And um and then I started writing, you know, songs about romances that went wrong and almost always stuff that happened that was bad. And so I said, um, since I'm playing a lyricist, I would like to sing a song that I have actually written the lyrics to. And they went, "Oh, I heard the little thing in the background." So I very casually got a little cafe chair and, spun it around backwards, sat on it like I'm going to do mine hair in a minute, you know. <laughs> and I, I launched into this song that I wrote called, If You Leave Me This Time. And about four seconds into the song, all the lyrics did. They're just like, oh, I, yeah, yeah. she forgot where I was. And I was, clearly I was so nervous, I, I couldn't focus. And I had to start over. And I don't even remember what I said, but I tried to make some ridiculous joke. And I'm dying now. I'm dying. I'm thinking I've screwed up this whole thing. I'm not going to get there. This. this is not going to happen for me. Well, I can't believe I just this whole damn audition.
0: Yeah, you can say fucked.
1: I fucked it up, and yeah. and I was <laughs> sitting backwards on my chair still. And I look over, and this guy is walking up on the stage, and he walks over to me with this circular lenses. It's Neil Simon, and oh, he takes he takes my no hands. Deal. Yeah, no big deal. The, the actual author. <laughs> and he walks right up on stage and he takes my hands in his hands and he looks down at me and he goes, you are such a breath of fresh air.
0: Mm.
1: And I was like, oh my God, thank you. Oh, wow. Oh, thank you so much. It was the kindest thing. And I thought, isn't that sweet? And I left there. I was like, floating, right? I was just floating on a cloud. I heard nothing for two months. <laughs>
0: <Ay-yi-yi>.
1: <laughs> nothing. The whole rest of the summer went by. Not,
0: sorry, you didn't get it. Oh, yeah, you know what? You're in the running. Now, did you think when you left, did you did that change your whole perspective on oh, the experience? I thought,
1: oh, yeah, I thought, oh, this is great. See, he liked okay. that. That's good. I, I This is good. But then you know nothing. No one says, and I'm calling my agent. And he's going, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I'm he, And you read in the paper, every single day they were saying, well, the first time they said, oh, Bette Midler. Bette Midler is cast in the new Neil Simon, you know, Marvin Hamlish." And then suddenly it was, they're talking to Cher about the new Neil Simon, blah, blah, blah. And then it was Streisand wants. And I went, oh,
0: that's never good.
1: (laughs) She wants it. She'll get it. She's
0: going to get it.
1: But it turned out the reason I didn't hear anything was that I was the very first person that they auditioned. And they had a list, Manny told me this years later, a list of a 100 different actresses to listen to and see. And they flew to Chicago and they were out in Los Angeles. And they were going, which is even more frightening if I had known that. Like, no chance, Charlie, that they were going to remember the first person they heard who screwed up so badly, right? right? And then I got a call back. And then I went and I went to the call back. Finally, like in August, I Marvin wanted to hear a couple people sing again, so I did. And I remember thinking... I've never sung worse. That was terrible. What was I thinking? Oh, my God.
0: Clearly, you don't know what you're talking about.
1: Apparently, I do not. Yeah. And then the next day, I got a phone call that I got the job. So you just never know. Just go do your best. Let the chips fall where they may. You know, I didn't know. He told me later, he said, oh, please, you know, whatever you did with that song that day, we were really just looking for a quality. You always had the quality of this voice. And then we saw some other girls that had, like, big powerhouse notes and stuff. He said, but I didn't write a score with powerhouse notes. I wrote a pop score and your voice was perfect for it. And you read the scene great. And you're just, you're Sonia Walsk. That's when I was. Oh my God. And it was thrilling. Every day was thrilling. I loved being in that rehearsal space. I loved watching Neil Simon write and rewrite and change and figure out like if, if there was a scene that wasn't being staged quick enough or easy enough and he would chew. I would sit there and chew on the edges of his glasses and watch. And if you didn't know him, you would think he really didn't like you because he was going like this. But then he'd get up and he'd leave and you'd go, oh my God, I'm going to be fired. I know it. And the next day, the next morning, he would come back with all new pages and he would hand out new pages and we would, okay, stage these pages and they would stage themselves like that, like just immediately. And he said, "Whenever it's that hard to stage, it's always the writer's fault," which I just thought was so amazing. You know that he had that he was humble enough to say that. You know, like it was yes, my fault. So he was sitting there with that look on his face, like, "How can I fix this? How can I fix this? What is wrong?" Which only helped me remember: don't try to assume what people are thinking by what's going on on their face, because you you never know what they're right. thinking. You don't know what they mean yeah. by that. You know.
0: What an iconic first experience to have. Like totally. Marvin Hamlisch. And, and Marvin. This was Marvin Hamlisch. What was that like? working Marvin, with Marvin. This, this was this was post-Chorus Line? Or, chorus yeah, was, Line.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Post-Chorus exactly. Line. And I kind of knew Marvin from when I first started singing and doing TV shows and stuff. And he was arranging and he would play for us on some shows. I didn't know him very well, but I sort of knew him. And uh, enough to be on a first name basis. And when we started rehearsing... the show is about like a week in and I think we were doing just for tonight and we were one of the ballads and and I'm you know how you do you're trying to figure out how do I hit this where do I approach that from and breathe here whatever and in the middle of it it was a little difficult but I'll I'd get it because he wanted a certain sound you know and um and he stopped me and he said um you know what Lou I I think I wanna I think I wanna lower the key for you here in this number. (sighs) I was devastated. I was like Oh no, Marvin, I'm sorry. I can, I know I have that note. I'm just trying to figure out how to, you know, jump I mean, I can sing it in a head voice sort of, but I don't really want, he said, what do you think? I'm married to these notes?
0: (laughs) Isn't that funny (laughs) that that's the most horrifying thing to a a singer. Like if they say they want to put it in your right key so that you sound great. But to us, it's like, I failed.
1: Well, also I had known nothing like that before. Um, On the Here's Lucy show, I didn't even realize
0: that they were putting things in my key. Well, what was your, what was your singing background to that point before you were on Broadway? I mean, were there lessons? Oh, yeah. I took some lessons
1: and I was in summer stock and, you know, regional theaters. And when you work Broadway shows that are going to go to those little theaters, what do you get? This is before computers where they can, you know, throw it into this program and pop it out in another key. You, if you can't sing the Broadway, Songs in the same key that it was originally done. You weren't going to get the part because those are the charts they have, right? That's that's right. the music they have. So it really was imperative that you could sing. You ha- if you're going to play Laurie in Oklahoma, you got to hit the you know high D or whatever it is. And so when he said that, I thought, oh, this is humiliating. I'm so sorry, Marvin. He went, no, please. And he said something so marvelous to me, and it really changed the way I thought of myself as a performer, mm. as a singer. I fir- I started to think of myself as a singer. For the first time, and not just an actor who sings once in a while, you know? He said, We hired you for the sound of your voice. You know, and every instrument is different. A a violin is not a cello. You know, a piccolo is not a harp. A harp isn't an oboe. You have to respect the instrument that you were given. And I was like, Wow, thank you. What a revelation. Yeah. And from that moment on, I really never apologized if I felt I should sing this here. Sometimes you want to put it up here, but sometimes this song and the way you want it to sound. I'm always saying to Ron, Ron Abel, my musical director, most of the time, I I said, you know, I feel like this one should be really in my lower speaking voice. Like it doesn't need to have high notes. It's a story song. And I really want to say, those are the choices you make. You don't make
0: it. So how high can I sing this? Exactly. Yeah. I know because I so relate to what you're saying because that that's for some reason, our own Michigan is like well, well. The, I you know I, you have to compare yourself to other people. It's got to be as high as it can be. But 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 it's true. Everyone is their own instrument. But
1: I mean, your whole thing is doing songs people have heard of, and they've heard other people sing them, and the music is familiar and stuff like that. So when you go to put them together with your, you have a musical person who helps you write a musical director or somebody who does. I have a musical director things. who yeah. does
0: the vocal arrangement.
1: So then you get a chance to choose how you want to sing it, where you want to sing it. You're not trying to right. always sing it in the original key. Why would you put yourself through that, right? Because sometimes they're no. too low.
0: <laughs> Honey, if you heard if you saw the charts for these songs I sing, you your head would spin. Or rather, you know, if the uh, if the composer saw them, they'd be like, "What the hell key is that? That is nothing <laughs> close to anything I had in my mind." But it doesn't matter. But it, that's a very important part is choosing the key because there are parts, yeah. especially if you're doing something comedic. I don't have to tell mm-hmm. you you want you want it to sit maybe in a lower register to, to mm-hmm. deliver that joke that makes mm-hmm. all the difference.
1: Exactly. These
0: are things then, that you don't necessarily think of.
1: But then you scared. can always modulate.
0: I, there's not been a song that I haven't modulated. I insist You're, it's in my contract. It must modulate you. at least three times.
1: It's very Barry Manilow of you.
0: I Well, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> what appeal to you or appeals to you about parody and parody writing? Because I've always said to me, I kind of, it's just been like kind of a means to an end. I've always felt a little ashamed of the parody stuff. It's really, it started because I don't write music or read music or anything. And I had yeah, to ha- yeah. ha- write material for myself to exactly. deliver. But then I realized I, you know, now that I, now that it's my profession, I have an appreciation. It is an, a, an, an art form <laughs> yeah. unto itself. Why do you like it? It is indeed.
1: it I liked it because I could express myself. And I guess I was always a writer. I still love to write. I love. I think I'm a pretty good writer. I like writing, and I love rhyming. And it was a good way to get a laugh, you know, to rhyme things that you wouldn't expect. And uh, I appreciated great rhymes in in the musicals and the songs that I was listening to as a kid. Because I didn't just listen to, you know, Broadway show tunes, but I would listen to all the top forty stuff. And every, you know, I just loved lyrics. I I studied with Carolyn Lee once. I had an opportunity to take one of her classes and I was absolutely fascinated. I just, ugh, I love being a lyricist and I don't do it enough anymore, but I, there's something about telling a story and putting it in stanzas and making it rhyme that is thrilling for me. And I've, one of these days I will put together a little CD, I really should, of all the silly stuff that I wrote, throughout the years, because a lot of them are from my mom and my dad and about terrible boyfriend things that happened. And and you they're must. almost always funny. There's one on my first CD, actually, that I did. It was a revenge tune. They, a lot of them were revenge tunes. You know, somebody does okay. something <laughs> to you and so you put it in... A, your whole career is pretty much <laughs> like somehow well, getting back at a situation with a funny I, parody, I have opinions
0: right? about things,
1: yeah. Yeah, you have opinions. And I had some opinions... <laughs> about this one dude who I dated and who suddenly just evaporated on me one night. You were the original so Alanis Morissette. Maybe. Well, okay. That could be. That could be. And I I wrote this thing, and it was called The View From Here, and it really was a smiling dagger to this dude. And uh, I wrote it with a girl I had just met who wrote music, and it was I wrote it in one night without ever erasing a word. I mean, it just came out of me. And then this same guy invited me to another party at his house, like weeks later. And I went, hmm. And he used to have these parties where this girl I was talking about, Madeline Stone, would play piano and she'd play show tunes and da da da. So I said, sure. Yeah, I want to, I'll come. And I thought to, I told Madeline, we're going to do that song. And he, and he was just having the best time, Mr. Wow, Party Guy, beautiful you know, apartment on Central Park South. And and he finally, I said, I have a song, actually, Uh-oh. that I wrote for you.
0: Oh, you and told him really? right out. Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: I said, I wrote this. I wrote this for you. And, and he said, oh, everybody, everybody, gather around, gather around. Lucy wrote a song for me. Oh, my Lucy God. wrote a song for me. And I- <laughs> put my coat in my bag by the door because I figured <laughs> since <I'm> finished, <laughs> I finished, I got to get the fuck out of here. Right. <laughs> and I sang the song. Madeline played the song. I sang the song. And as soon as it was finished, he went, you wrote that for me? Oh my, she wrote that about me. It's about me. Oh, he me. liked it? <laughs> he was he didn't so get happy it. that somebody, he got it, but he didn't care. How can you not like a guy like that? And we're still friends.
0: Oh my God. We're
1: still friends because you know, I was upset that he somehow didn't want to be with me anymore, and I made it very clear one night, like at two in the morning. Can I call you a cab? Is you are you ready to go home? <laughs> it was just one of those. What? I'm sorry. What? And I That's so I wrote funny. this devastating song about him, and oh, and he loved it. He loved, he it. loved it. And he I thought it's it was in a my whole, show. A tribute.
0: Yeah. It Tell was. me about your show. What is this show? What um, gave you the idea to do this? Show it's a concert. We're calling it.
1: Yeah, all my concerts. I've been in concerts for like thirty years. You know, right. nightclubs and concerts and theaters and but on like, like you in front of a band and doing sometimes me and a piano, sometimes a trio, sometimes twenty five pieces. Depends on where and how much money they give you to pay your musicians.
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, right. Yeah. And um, it's this one is called "I Got the Job." Songs from my musical past, and it's the only time that I've actually done an authentic show about how I got here, like doing music was because Mm. I grew up in the musical theater and I start from my backyard and Bye Bye Birdie and through high school and regional theaters and Annie Get Your Gun and then they're playing our song and then on and on. And I use a lot of the songs, but it's not always, it's not always songs that I sang in the shows either. Sometimes there are other people's songs that i and a reason why I always wanted to sing it or sometimes they're the guy's song.
0: Give me an, give me an example I like a gender bending uh, moment.
1: Witches of Eastwick, uh, which I did in London. It was the first show I did in London. And it's the second time I had a chance to create a a, a role from scratch, which is great. And um, it's about, you know, if you remember the movie with Jack Nicholson, it's about the devil and these three women that he co-ops and witches, quote unquote. And he takes over their life and blah, blah. But there's this one song that's written that he sings, the devil sings. It's called, Who's the Man? And it is the most chauvinistic, like, oh, my God. Jonathan Dempsey wrote the best character observation of this kind of slimy, full of himself, Trumpian dude, you know? And I always loved it. I used to run into the wings every night to watch it be performed because it had the whole chorus of the guys behind, da-da, da-da. And it was all sort of old, show-busy background. And I do it in my show because I just think the lyrics are hilarious. And... uh I don't do too many gender bender ones. I sing songs that other people sang that I didn't sing, but that's the only one I think that I sing that was a guy's tune. Okay. And it's it's
0: funny. Favorite show that you were in? Ooh, I don't know that I can answer that. You have to. You know, I like- You must.
1: <laughs> I have to because I'm on the Randy Rainbow podcast.
0: Yes, we don't um, play around here.
1: My favorite show that I was in. Gosh, that's a hard one. It's a really hard one because I have favorites for different reasons. Like Seesaw, believe it or not, with Tommy Toon, John Gavin, first national tour was my first really big equity show. And Giddle Mosca is a great part. Just a fabulous role. I would, If I wasn't too old for it, I would do it again in a minute. I love that show so much. And it was Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields' music. It was directed by Michael Bennett. Wow. So I have a lot of great memories of Tommy and Michael Bennett and just touring with that great group of people who are, like you said, you know, you have friends from the Hollywood uh, theater thing in Florida where you met all those. Hollywood Josh Playhouse. they there's yeah. Josh. And that you're still friendly with a lot of those people. The people I met in Seesaw are like the Tommy Toons and there was the Judy Gibsons, you know, and the Frolic Taylors and these wonderful people who are just family to me to this day. So I love that show for that reason, and it was a great part. Um, I love their playing our song because – all of the stuff I just told you, and it was my first Broadway yeah. show
0: all right, well, which one did you just hate where 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 you just where everyone was miserable and you, and you just almost walked out?
1: Does it have to be a musical <laughs> no oh
0: no
1: um there was a show written by oh God, Joyce she's tell us. I am Joyce okay. Carol oates Joyce Carol Oates. Wonderful. My author. mother
0: is a fan, and she she follows me on Twitter. But go ahead; don't let okay. That Joyce, no, your story. Jo-
1: Joyce 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 Carol Oates, marvelous author. She had never written a play before, and apparently there are uh, good reasons for that. Oh. <laughs> it just oh. didn't work, and I it was kind of a nightmare. Joyce Carol
0: Oates off of our list of people, she, to and reach she out,
1: refused to so. ever change a word of it. Oh. It was her first play. Now I had worked with Neil Simon. Now he's Neil fricking Simon, and he's out there figuring out how to rewrite it and make it work, right? Choice did not think it needed any work. And the play Mm -hmm. was a disaster. And she hired her friend to direct it, and, and he couldn't make heads or tails out of it. So I finally got the producers to bring in at least somebody who I knew could direct. Don Amendolia came in, and he did the best he could in between the lines, because the woman would not change a word of it. And it was a disastrous production hey. and I it's the only one that I go like woo I don't ever i could never be in that again <laughs> I mean that was a horrible play it doesn't happen that often I've been very I actually been very lucky with the show I've, shows I've
0: done well look who you, you've worked with my god icons and legends
1: that's another reason why I did this show because you asked me why did I put this show together yeah my father suggested to me years ago I mean I must have been in my first you know, like summer stock show. And he's going, you know, I think you should put together a show using all these songs from the shows you've been in, you know, and tell the stories and all this thing. And I went, I've done one show, dad. What am I, how am I going to put a whole (laughs) show together about the show that I just did? And, but it always stuck in the back of my head. So 30 years later, well, uh, 30 years of concerts, not 30 years of show business, like more like 50 some years of show business. I said to Ron Abel one day, I said, you know, we got to put together a new show because we've been here and here and here with all that that show. And I said, a long time ago, my dad suggested, blah, 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 blah. and he was skeptical. He went, mm, no, it's really anything. And I said, well, let me make a list of, for you of all the shows that I've done. Why don't you take a look at the music that's in them? And then the, I'll tell you some of the stuff I could talk about. And it was like, whoa, what? And I realized because I've been in shows that were written by like the Hammersteins and Irving Berlin and the Gershwins and Cy Coleman. I've worked with all these, you know, shows that were written by these amazing composers. The and I had a chance to to work with so many great directors, producers, and the stories of the people that I worked on stage with, you know, between the Jerry Hermans, the Tommy Toons, the Harv Presnells, the, there's tons of stuff you can talk about and share, you know? So it just kind of exploded. I could do three of these shows. I could do volume one and two and three, you know.
0: And it was your father's father's idea, essentially. It was
1: dad's idea and it was a little premature.
0: (laughs) But it was literally a twinkle in your father's eye, this show.
1: He was always pretty savvy when it came to those kinds of things. And, you know, I thought, oh, you're so, that's so corny. I'm not going to do that because I was mm. young and stupid and that's the way you respond to your parents. Um, but when I look back uh, afterwards, I thought, you know, at its core, that's a damn good idea. And um, it turned out to be the one of the best shows I've ever done. I love doing this show.
0: They were always supportive of you, your parents, with, with show business?
1: Always. Always. Yeah. Not pushy. Not like, come on, you got to go do this. This is what we do. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. But if we had a passion, like building the the garage theater, right? If she saw that, oh, Lucy's kind of interested in that, then, then she would support that in some way. She would get get me singing lessons or b- build the little stage in the garage. And same with Desi, you know, he 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 decided he kind of liked the drums. Duh. Um, and suddenly he had a drum teacher and a beautiful drum set. And at five years old, he was playing the drums, you know? So I always appreciated that. If it made us happy, if it was something that she thought would keep us out of trouble, you know, she would encourage it. Um, but she also wanted us to get an education. Mm. She didn't want me to, you know, fluff around and, you know, she didn't say, come be on our show. And when you're seven, you know, she wanted me to go to a good high school and go to a good college. But then just about the time I was ready to go to college and I was starting to think about where I would go from my high school, she decided to switch her series um, format and do a brand new one called Here's Lucy and asked Desi and I to be on it. And I was, well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to co- I'm going, trying to get into, you know, Northwestern. She said, well, they're shooting people at colleges today. I don't want you to go to college right now. Literally. That's what she said. Cause it was wow. Kent state time, you know, and then um, I wasn't too sure I needed to be on my mother's show. Like what if everybody's going to say, you know, oh, how'd she get that job?
0: And they'd be right. You really felt that way, though. But it, but you knew it was going oh, to be yeah. successful.
1: No, I didn't think. I didn't know if I was if I was good enough. I really didn't oh. know if I was good enough yet. I mean, um, she came to see me in the shows we did at Immaculate Heart High School, the little musicals that we did and stuff. Um, and she she knew the backyard stuff that I could do, and maybe she knew more about what I had in me than I did. But I didn't want it to be bad. I, I didn't want to fail in front of millions of people. So I, I made a deal with her that if after the first, so if I do this, if I do this mom, then you have to be honest with me because you'll know there'll be reviews and there'll be buzz and people will talk. And if they're kind of like, well, the kids are like, mm, not ready. They're not ready for prime time. Thank you. Can you just please promise me that you will like, write me out, write me out. Make, Kim goes away to college, you know, and let me go get, good. I don't want to fail. This is what I want to do with my life. And I I already knew that, you know, and I and she agreed. And it turned out okay. Like the reviews were okay. And every year they got a little better. And every year I learned more. And it turned out to be six years of fantastic uh, education in how to perform and be professional. And you don't know how to tap dance one week and the next week you're doing a, a tap number with, you know, Bojangles and Wow. We're learning how to do all these amazing things and singing with these incredible
0: people, Burnett. Who was one of the most exciting um, uh, guest stars that you worked with on that show?
1: I got to do a takeoff on Share with Frankie Avalon playing Sonny that was so hilarious. <gasps> I, 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 you I, just got to look I, that up. He was a guest on our show and they that. wrote in this thing where I had to be in uh, in a show with him. And or he was in the show with, I had to do a show and he came in and did the show with me and we decided to do Sunny and Share and that was hilarious and we did a lot of shows with your best friend and mine, Carol Burnett. Oh, she was yeah. a guest every single year so I got That's a right. lot of musical stuff with her. Wayne Newton, don't laugh, but I had he's such laughing. a crush on Wayne Newton as a kid and my mother took us to see his shows and I just, oh my God, he was one of the greatest, still is probably, well, he's, sort of retiring now but literally they called him Mr. Las Vegas, Mr. Entertainment and yeah. there was a reason for it because he was just insanely good at what he did and he was a huge inspiration for me with music and all that entertain how to be an entertainer, how to be on a stage and command, you know, an audience. What do you do? And he was a guest several times and I got a chance to perform with him. That was thrilling. But there was lots and lots and lots and lots of people. I even love Ruth Buzzy, you know?
0: Oh my god. <laughs> the best. Your mom was very supportive of of y- young up and coming talent. Did she was there someone who s- stood out to her that she really kind of gravitated to, who was coming up you know, a generation, the next generation?
1: Well, at the time, she was an up and coming and she discovered this person. And we just lost her, Carol Cook, uh-huh. the remarkable Carol Cook. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful comedian and Broadway performer, musical performer, and she did zillions of our shows. And <laughs> you know how you talk about not nanny. Yeah. Carol was was my nanny. Carol was that sharp tongued hilarious. You know, she's a gay icon too, and she lived to be mm-hmm. ninety nine years old. She would have been ninety nine a week a week after. She, you know, like sick four days after she passed away. i bad. And she lived at our house for months and everything. And my mother discovered her in summer stock somewhere and brought her to Hollywood and put her in a Desilu review. But I guess there, was, there were lots of people, but I don't know exactly who she would say would be her person that she... Now, John Ritter, probably.
0: Really? That's interesting. She
1: used to champion John Ritter. She was a huge fan of John's. And it's wow. odd because they both died of the same illness. They both died of an aseptic aorta.
0: Oh wow! Isn't that weird? I didn't realize that—that's yeah. very weird.
1: And he was great. He was a good friend of ours too. I did a play with him. I love John.
0: I uh, talk about nanny. I I write. I grew up like millions of people thinking like I, that. I was a part of your family because my the story that was always told to me, and I've told this to you before. My mother and her siblings thought that their parents, when they were kids. Or Lucy and Desi, because my grandmother was this beautiful, funny woman, and my grandfather was a band leader. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And then my father's a drummer. Like, there's a lot of things. But millions of people have, have that. I guess that was my original question when I brought up Lorna Left. Was there a time that you—I mean, so many people kind of feel entitled to your family in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a lovely way most of the time. But was there a resentment— that you had to shed. I mean, certainly as a kid, as a teenager, that's not something that you mm. appreciate. And I guess that there's, the, there must be a metamorphosis if you've to come to where you are now.
1: You know, yeah, you always do feel a little bit like, yeah, you feel a little bit like, hey, you guys get them all day long everywhere on your TV and all this other stuff. They are not home very often. So when they are, can you just leave us alone for a little while, please? Right. and there were always somebody banging on the door you know ringing the doorbell we didn't have gates in front of our house so it was a constant barrage of adoring fans and and you but i was taught to respect them and mm. not to you know put that down my mother never never not neither my mother or my father ever showed any dislike or or you know impatience with the fact that there were fans Even when we were at a dinner and we were just trying to have dinner together and somebody would come over to the table and interrupt you eating, they would be just so generous and signed. And as kids, we were like, gosh, you know, why can't you just leave us alone? And um, because we wanted to be with them and we didn't get a chance to be with them very often. That's the only thing I can think of is that you shared your parents enough.
0: Like when they're home, can't they just be home? But I get it. Of course. You're the best, Lucy Arnez. Um, when are we getting together? At some when are you are you going to be <laughs> in New York ever? Am I are you are you am I coming to Palm Springs? I, am. I don't know why I'm asking you. I think I should.
1: Well, pretty much any time you want, I'm there or you're here. You, we okay. have a large guest room, and you can always well, stay with us. That's right? all I need to hear. That's all you need to know. Yeah. And I will be in New York on and off. I'm going to be there for one day in another week or so on my way to Kenya. I'm doing a gig you, in Kenya.
0: Kenya? They,
1: they say you got to go out of town. No.
0: But that's a little um, ridiculous.
1: That's a little ridiculous. <laughs> I uh, I actually got a wonderful opportunity to perform in Nairobi, in Kenya, on a tour, for craft tours. They take these special autograph tours, incredible places all over the universe. And they have one person that you might want to travel with. It would be me. Mm-hmm. And I perform one night. And I do a Q&A another night. And the rest of the time, I'm on this great tour. And I got to choose where I go. So I picked Kenya because I've never been on a safari. We do eight safari drives. We go to the elephant orphanage. We do the chimpanzees, the giraffe hotel. So I'm really excited about that. I get to go to Kenya. So I'm going to be in New York for a couple of days on my way there. But then okay. um, probably a lot in the spring. And I do oh, 54 Below again next July. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you there. know.
0: Keep keep yeah, me posted. I wanna I wanna be in person with you soon. Uh, uh best of luck you, with honey. with the, with, the, with Kenya and the touring and everything. I just adore you. Thank you for doing this today.
1: Well, it's you know I think it's mutual. I love you so much and I'm your biggest fan. I swear to God I am. Oh
0: my god. Thank you, honey. That's I'll talk true. to you soon. Thanks. Uh, okay. Mwah. All right. Mwah. The show is over, girl, so thanks for listening. It's been a vibe, and damn it, don't you dare forget to subscribe. I promise next week will be ten times better than even the last. Except when it's not. Nice to chat, Miss Arnez. That interview was so juicy. Let it be known to the world that Randy Rainbow loves Lucy. And that's the last word of the pod.